1 Samuel 24, verse number 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. Now this is a little delicate, but let's just let the Bible be what it is. Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, the very cave that Saul went in to use the bathroom. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge. And give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. The Bible is clear that God sovereignly picked David out of every other male in the nation of Israel at that time. He picked David to be the future king. He picked him not only to be the future king, but he picked him as the replacement for King Saul, who had proven himself at that time where David was chosen, Saul had proven himself uh, wicked, uh, fearful of the people he was called to leave, and very self-willed. Saul was a presumptuous, self-willed man who eventually opened himself up to demonic oppression. The Bible says he was afflicted with an evil spirit, and Saul was a roller coaster of a character. You never knew what you were going to get, but by this time in Saul's life, he was intent on murdering David, and David was well aware of this. 
David had lost everything, so he was in a weak position. David was now responsible for 400 men who now, by identifying with David, they also became fugitives, wanted men in the land. And they're living on the run for not a day, a week, or a month, but for a very long time. And that has a way of wearing down on somebody's soul. So the context for all of this is that David and his 400 men were long time in hiding, worn out, and all of the sudden, the sovereign God of heaven allowed the very man who was wanting to kill all of these men, but especially David, allowed that man, King Saul, to enter in to the very cave where David and his men were hiding. The reason why that's important is going to be apparent in this, in this message. Sometimes God will give you the full ability to have control over what happens to your enemy. It doesn't happen all the time, but when we are given the opportunity to treat our enemy in whatever way we choose, it is in that moment that there will be a revelation based on what we decide, a revelation of where our heart is with God. And this is tough stuff because, matter of fact, I'm just going to encourage you to do this. If you can do this without bitterness of heart, I'm going to encourage you to make this personal tonight. Who has declared and who has treated you like their enemy? Who is wounding you or has wounded you? Who is it that you have the hardest time either forgiving or leaving vengeance unto the Lord? Because that's the person that the Holy Spirit wants to, to, to dialogue with you about in this message. So this is not easy, nor has been any of the other uh, messages in this series, because what they do is they, they bring us to this place where we have to look in the mirror and decide, where am I with the Lord? So let's let David's story and how he interacts with Saul help us tonight. It's very simple. In the first four verses, we see David's opportunity to get even. He's got the opportunity to settle the score. He didn't want this fight, but the fight came to him. And look what it, what it appears like in these verses. First of all, notice how difficult of a situation he was in. David was completely outmatched. It says in verses 1 and 2, that Saul returned from another war with the Philistines, another battle. And when he returns, he's told, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And Saul takes 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men. So very plainly here, David, it's David and about 400 kind of guerrilla warfare soldiers hiding out in the caves of En Gedi, those kind of limestone caves that had deep, dark caverns. There was a, a natural spring there where shepherds would often water their, their flocks, and so it was a place, a good place for David and his men to hide out because there were lots of caves where they could, they could retreat into and hide themselves, and Saul finds out that's where he's hiding. So Saul, having full command over all of the army, handpicks 3,000 of the finest, most um, intense soldiers of all Israel, and he says, this is it, I'm tired of this David, we're going to go down and we're going to find him, and this is going to be the end of him. So he's outmatched, 3,000 to 400, except you remove God from that equation and David is toast, he's doomed, but God is not removed from the equation. Matter of fact, God is going to be clearly seen in how he's governing David's heart, but he was outmatched. David was outmatched, but he was also empowered. This is where things get interesting. Um, let's, again, we're grown-ups here, but let's just take the Bible for what it is. The Bible says that Saul came to the sheepfolds. By the way, 
where there was a cave. So they're on the hunt for David. Saul comes onto this scene, and Saul goes into a particular cave to relieve himself. Now, it's just very clear. It's, uh, the, the Hebrew actually says that he uncovers his feet, and what that describes is in order for him to relieve himself, he takes off his robe, and he proceeds to do his business there in the cave. Now, look at the irony of this, because the very cave that Saul picked It says, now David and his men were hiding in the innermost parts of the cave. So of all the caves, of all the caverns, of all the entryways in in that hillside that Saul could have chosen, he walks in. By the way, there was Hebrew law that said if you had to go to the bathroom, you could not do it with inside the camp. You had to go to a a remote location, at least away from the camp, and there you, you could do what you needed to do. And so Saul is obeying the law. He goes up into the cave. He's private. He's up there, and he begins to... To, to do what he had to do and little did he know that he actually enters the very cave where David and his 400 men are hiding but here's the thing Saul doesn't know that he's all alone he's got nobody around him his weapon is laid down he's about as vulnerable as you can be disrobed and, and squatting in a cave and there's there's nothing in do and he has no idea that the the his enemy is standing behind him. Now, we don't know how far away it is. It was probably a large cave. And so that's the scene. David right now recognizes that he is in full control of the situation for the first time in a very long time. Now, let's not forget the context. This is the man that has made David's life a living hell. This is the man that ran David off originally or conscripted David away from his mother and father's house, took him out of his parents' house, brought him into his own court, This is the man that's tried to pin David to the wall with his spear, his javelin, twice. This is the man that ran David off from his wife. This is the man who sent David running from his best friend, Jonathan. This is the man that forced David to have to break away from his mentor, Samuel. So Saul has ruined David's life, not to mention David has been on the run for a really, really long time. And how many of us would not get highly theological when we see Saul walk into the cave, disrobe, and he is completely vulnerable. How many of us wouldn't say, well, hallelujah, the sovereign God of heaven has, has brought about an end to this rough chapter in my life? And you got to remember, David's a Bronze Age soldier. He is, a, he is a, like a really, really intense military guy. He knows how to handle opposition. And David, of course, was tempted. He had people around him. Look at down there in verse number four. The men of David said to him, here is the day this is the day this is the day that the lord has made well here is the day which the lord said to you behold i will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you real quick that's nowhere in the bible we have no record whatsoever that god ever said to david there's coming a day where i'm going to give you saul into your hand and when that moment happens you just you take off his head this is what happens, by the way. When, when, when we're surrounded with people that are for us and they've got our back and they're loyal and they love us and they see how we've suffered at the hands of someone who's made themselves our enemy, and it, it always just seems to work out that way. When you're in a place and, and you've got an opportunity to get revenge, it's, it always just seems like you've got two or three people who are like, now's your time, go do it. I counseled enough difficult marriages to know that when couples are trying to reconcile, and listen, sometimes it's the guys, but I've, I've heard it more from the ladies. And ladies, y'all are tight. Y'all are loyal to each other. When one of your buddies is getting done wrong or has been mistreated or in some way by, by her husband, you know, 
it just hasn't hasn't affirmed her hasn't treated her like a wife should be treated and sometimes the ladies are like you don't have to put up with that stuff you just need to go ahead and file for a divorce you need to get away from that man he's terrible you're so much better than him there's another man out there who's going to treat you right and that's the way sometimes ladies operate and they call it you know woman power or whatever but sometimes that sweet sister that friend of yours who's just got your back sometimes she's giving you advice that is completely opposite of what God's saying to you and it's not just the ladies the guys do it too there's it's it's in you know depravity runs the whole gamut and David's guys are here basically saying hey the Lord's for this go ahead and take out King Saul you know how easy it would be David he's, he's 50 yards away just go put your sword through him he doesn't even have his sword on him so David was tempted he was empowered and he's in a situation where he's outmatched and this is where he is living it's his opportunity to get even this is where we begin to see how David, the declaration over David that he's a man after God's own heart, this is where we begin to see that played out in real time. So go down into the end of verse 4, into verse 7, and this is where we start getting a glimpse into David's inner being. We see that his conscience is governed by honor. This is, David would make some mistakes later on in his life, but man, in this stage where he is completely dependent on God, David's conscience is being regulated or governed by the principle of honor. He's actually going to honor someone who refuses to honor him. So look at his conviction. So David makes a mistake here, which he's going to kind of uh, regret and bemoan here in a moment, but it says David arose and he stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, there's always an afterward, afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, 21st century Christians, we, we don't really get this, but Saul's robe was the royal robe. It was his marker as God's appointed and anointed leader. That was the way it was. Saul had been anointed. Saul still had the throne. He had lost his fellowship with the Lord, but he still had the position. And so that robe was an emblem of God's giving Saul the position of the king of Israel. And David, for whatever reason, we don't know why, maybe David was actually going to go up there and kill him. And when he got there, he said, no, I can't do that. And so he just snipped off the robe. We have no idea why David did it. But we do know that after David, David cut off a part of Saul's robe, David was deeply convicted in his heart. Now, I want you to think about this with me. Saul is trying to murder David. Saul has put a bounty out on David's head. Saul has ruined David's life. Saul is completely demonized. Saul has lost all credibility as the, the king of Israel. Saul is leading by insecurity and paranoia and self-defense. Uh, He's protecting himself. Saul is so in the flesh, and he feels nothing. He feels no conviction. He's not worried at all about his testimony. He's not worried at all about pleasing the Lord. Saul is a man that is driven by his flesh and he feels nothing. He's going home every night, sleeping in a comfortable bed. He's eating a great meal. He's throwing back his royal wine. He's waking up. He's doing whatever he wants to do. He's got all power. He's got all of the resources. He's got everything and he's using them for the wicked purposes of killing David and he feels nothing. And David, all David did was go up there and snip off a piece of the robe. And he's like, oh, I've sinned against God. I have sinned against God. One of the marks of a person who's developing a heart like God's, 
a heart after Jesus. Paul would say in New Testament terms, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When we are becoming more and more aligned in our character with the character of God, one of the things that will happen is we will have a heightened sensitivity to our own sin. I worry about people that are always, you know, barking about other people's sins. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Listen, I'm, I'm a preacher of the gospel, and I will, I will be very honest and true when we're dealing with passages that talk about sin. I'm not going to cover that up. But I'm going to tell you, the worst sin in the world to me is mine. And, and that's not because I'm super spiritual. It's because by God's grace, I've, I've gotten glimpses of the glory and the holiness of God, and I just can't do some things that maybe I could do 10 years ago. I can't watch some things that I used to watch. I can't listen to some things I used to listen. I don't even partake of some things that I used to partake in. Why? Because as my heart grows in Christ's likeness, we're going to be growing in a sense of holiness, and we just get convicted about stuff that other people don't get convicted about. Now, it's not our job to go around and legislate, thou shalt not, if I don't do it, you can't do it. That's, listen, we turned in our badges. We're not the sheriffs patrolling the streets of Christiantown anymore. We, we, we are really supposed to operate according to the word of God and then sometimes the Lord reserves the right to convict us about stuff that maybe there's not even a Bible verse on where Saul could get away and I'm not saying God wasn't convicting Saul what I am saying is Saul's heart was so hard now he didn't even hear God anymore he was reprobate at this point but David wasn't and so David is convicted because why? because he showed dishonor to God's appointed authority, who happened to be crazy King Saul. So look at the confession in verse number six. David says to his men, and this is after he had cut the robe, he's like, he's basically saying, why did I do that? He says, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Now, have y'all ever heard of like some unaccountable spiritual leader that doesn't ever want to be accountable for anything and if anybody dares to try to hold him or her accountable, they say, they, they pull this, don't lift your hand against me, I'm the Lord's anointed. Have y'all ever heard of that kind of stuff? Um, typically, if somebody has to say, don't lift your hand against me, I'm the Lord's anointed, they're not the Lord's anointed. <laughs> if you have to declare it, you probably aren't walking in it. Um, David though recognized that though Saul was empty of character he still was in the position of power and whereas David did not respect the things Saul was doing David had such a reverence from the Lord and David understood what would be told us in the New Testament that the power that the powers that be are ordained of God now boy we could go somewhere with this one right now in in a jacked up I believe that's the Hebrew phrase a jacked up political system right now where we are so divided whether it was President Trump whether it was President Obama or whoever the next president might be here's one thing that we have to learn I had to learn this I I learned this through God taking me to the woodshed and spanking me because I I, I was actually optimistic with President Obama's first term. But by the end of it, when the second election came, I didn't like his policies, and I'm not going to get into politics, but I did not want him to win primarily because of my stand on, on pro-life, protecting the unborn. And so when, when he was elected the second time, I had some major internal struggles. And there were times up here right before the election where I had the opportunity, I had the microphone, I had a captive audience, and there were so many times where I just wanted to 
kind of dig, maybe even do a little pastoral manipulation, telling people, hey, this is why you should vote this way and so on. And the Lord was wearing me out in private. And when he won, this was the, I, I literally made a vow to the Lord. I said, Lord, he's my president and I don't like his policies, but I will salute his rank. And that is what we have to recognize is the Lord. Any of you that have been in the military, you've had people that had more stripes than you do. And you may not have liked that person, but you knew how to salute the rank, even if you didn't respect the person who had the rank. And that's what we're called to do. And David was dealing with this, not in American politics, but he's dealing with it with a man that had, was occupying his throne. David was anointed to take that throne and this man was out to kill him and David said I can't believe that I have gone against the Lord's anointed and dishonored him by cutting his robe and so David says to his men hey I've done something wrong that's a humble leader a humble leader will admit when he or she does something that is outside of the boundaries of God's will and David was so cut to the core and we're going to find out how difficult this was in the next verse because his men didn't like this. The Bible says in verse number seven, it says, David persuaded his men with these words, the words of verse number six. He persuaded the, his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And then Saul got up and, and left the cave and went on his way. Real quick here. Um, there's a Hebrew word in this passage, literally, that is translated in the English in the ESV. The word is translated persuaded. And it almost sounds like David's like, come on, guys, let's, 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 let's hug. Let's talk this over. Come on, let's just let you, you process a little. I'll process a little, and then he can process. That wasn't it at all. It's a very intense Hebrew word that literally means to shred, to tear into, or to rip apart. So what we have here, if you unpack the original language, you have Saul doing his business in the cave, and obviously David and his men are in the further darker resources of the cave, and it, it gets intense. David comes back with a robe, and he's... He's like, I can't believe I just did that. Guys, I should not have done that. And his men have had it. His men are basically like, if you're not going to go kill him, I'm going to kill him right now. And the Bible says David tore into them. I don't know how he did that without alerting Saul to their presence, but the Bible is saying that very clearly David shreds him. It was a heated, contested argument. They're wanting to kill him. David does not permit them to attack Saul. And the, the finally, the, the debate, the argument, the you know, the back and forth stopped, and by the time it stopped, Saul had exited the cave. Why is that important? Because, friends, it's one thing to make up your mind on Wednesday night that you're going to be kind and gracious and trust the Lord with your enemy. It's an entirely different thing to have that same conviction on Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night. Or maybe you're cool on a Wednesday and you're like okay Lord I, I just surrender this to you hallelujah I feel the peace of Jesus and then that person that acts as your enemy takes it up to the next level a few days later and all of a sudden you're tested on it and friends we have to remain committed in this thing because what the Lord is actually teaching all throughout scripture is that when he says vengeance is mine he says and it's never yours that's the teaching because this is the way I operate. I'll confess my carnality to you since you're not in a position to confess yours. Let me confess mine. Mine is, yes, vengeance is the Lord's and please get on it really quick. Please take care of that business because Lord, I'm just going to honor you. Vengeance belongs to you. By the way, why haven't you enacted that vengeance yet? That's just the way I get when I'm being cornered. 
Now, I'm sure none of y'all have ever wrestled with that. That's why I'm confessing my sins. But for sake of theory, if you've wrestled it, this is what the Lord's actually teaching. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, dot, 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 when I'm ready. And here, here's the kicker. It doesn't always happen in this life. There is no promise that the scales will be fully balanced in this life. And sometimes we have to live with the fact that Matter of fact, Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 73, the psalmist is wrestling with the the issue of why are all the evildoers prospering? Why are they getting away with everything? I'm serving the Lord. I'm trying to do things right. I am not, not understanding why you're not doing anything. He's wrestling in his soul. And then he says, but when I went up to the sanctuary, when I went to the house of God, I got a revelation on how their story ends. And so he was able to trace the wrongdoer all the way past death and into the judgment and recognized, oh, okay, I just need to leave this thing with God. Um, God is just, but he's also omnisciently wise. What does that mean? It means he knows when and how to enact his full justice. And before we get too comfortable on our, our high horse, we need to remember that the same delay Maybe it's grace, maybe it's his patience, maybe it's his mercy with our enemy. The same benefit they get, we get too. So what are you talking about, Jeff? Well, you do wrong. I I know this is not flattering, but I'm going to tell you, you sin. Come on, y'all look so spiritual. You sin. You say stuff, think stuff, and do stuff that falls far short of the glory of God. And it's just a good time to remind us that the Bible says the wages for that sin is what? Death. And so when we don't experience death for our sins against God, you know what we are experiencing? Mercy, compassion, patience, and grace. And we're all about getting that on us, but when God gives it to our enemy, we're like, hey, what are you doing? What is up with that? Well, the Lord makes it rain upon the just and the unjust alike. And sometimes the very mercy that we receive, God actually will extend to those that have done us wrong. And it's a test of our heart. How do we respond when God is merciful to our enemy when they weren't merciful to us? So David is here and he's saying this, this is the Lord's anointed I know I could have killed him. I'm glad I didn't kill him, but man, I wish I hadn't even cut his robe. Why? Because David's whole conscience is guided by the principle of honor. Some of you are having to live out some days under authority that you can't fight. It was that great renowned prophet of old, John Cougar Mellencamp, that said, I fight authority and authority always wins. Anybody remember that one? Steve, you got me on that, right? Okay. I fight authority and authority always wins. You know why? There's just the reality that sometimes uh, authority, even when the person doesn't have character, they've got position, they've got authority, they've got the power. And you know what the Lord teaches? It's Romans 13. Peter taught it also. It's that we must learn to submit unto authority as unto the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, you can't do that consistently in your flesh, which is all the more reason why we need the Holy Spirit. So go a little bit further. Y'all still with me? All right, David's David's determined soul remains humble because this is where, I, I, I don't even think I could have done what he's done up to this point. 
I'm just going to say it. I would have killed Saul. I would have. I, I am almost positive that I would have killed Saul. You pray for my sanctification because I just, I think I would have killed him. And I would have probably felt like God gave him to me to kill. I would have been one of those dudes that would have been like, hey, man, it's right here. This is the Lord's will. But not only did David not kill him, David does something that is mind-blowing. He, he determines in his soul that he's going to go lower. He's not only going to not puff up in pride and revenge, he's going to go lower. So let me read verses 8, 9, and 10, and I just want you to note how David positions himself here. Afterwards, so Saul's left the cave. David lets him get a little ways out of the cave, and then afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave. So David now exposed and out in the open, and he cries out after Saul, my Lord, the king. And Saul turns around and looks behind him. What does David do? Look at this position. He bowed his face with his face to the earth, and he pays homage. He, he, he gives honor to Saul. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I told them, I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. So David does something that very few people would have done, especially warriors, you know, Bronze Age warriors like David. Very few of them would have done this. David goes out. And he exposes his own, he just steps out of the cave. He's no longer secure in the darkness and hidden. He steps out and he gets on his face. He gets on his face in a posture of full submission, a posture of obedience, a posture of humility, a posture, frankly, of surrender. And he calls out to David, to Saul. He says, Saul, You've got to quit listening to these people putting thoughts in your head. If I was really out to kill you, I could have just done it. I've got your robe in my hand. Now, you know, Saul, he, he's probably flipping out a little bit because he just left that cave and all of a sudden he's not 100 yards away. David comes out of the very same cave. He's telling Saul that he cut his robe. You know what you're going to do. You're going to look down right away at your robe and you're going to see that piece missing. And your heart, your, your blood drains down. You go cold. Your heart probably skips a beat. And you're like, oh, my goodness. The man I'm hunting had me in his sights, and he let me go. David took the high ground by going low. I want to say something very quickly here, lest I be misunderstood. It is not the will of God for you to remain in a physically, emotionally, or sexually dangerous, abusive situation. Do not leave here believing that I have told you that it's God's will for you to be abused and to take it. That is false. You need to make sure that you are safe. You need to make sure that your children or grandchildren are safe. I am not telling you that we obey all authority at any cost, no matter what they're doing. Use wisdom. So please understand that I'm not saying that. In this situation, David is going to the extreme. He has cultivated enough distance between him and Saul to where he is humbling himself, but he's not walking up to Saul bowing and saying, take off my head if you must. Uh, if you must. 
but David is humbling himself. So what does that speak to us about? It means this, the position and the posture of our heart needs to always be to seek to the very best of our ability to honor those who have posed themselves against us as enemies. We can honor them in the sense of we are not out to exact vengeance. We are not out to expose them. We're not out to make their name mud. We're not out to cause them pain or harm at a level equal or higher than ours. We're not out to make a terrible situation worse. What we are out to do is to honor, especially if they're in authority, we honor the Lord by honoring the authority that he's established. And unfortunately for all of us, sometimes the person that is in authority over us doesn't have the character to seek our best interest. And that was the case with David. But notice in admission, this is verse 11. This is when he brings out the corner of the road. He uses this term of endearment. He says, see my father. And remember, Saul was David's father-in-law. David married Saul's daughter. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you can know that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. I like this because David didn't act like there wasn't anything wrong. David wasn't saying, hey, it's no big deal, a little misunderstanding. David's being very clear. He's like, you have sinned against me. You are trying to kill me. David's not operating in some political correct world of untruth. David is calling it what it is. Saul, you are trying to kill me, but you can tell that I could have killed you today and I chose not to do it even though you're sinning against me. I have chosen not to sin against you but actually to show you mercy and grace that you don't deserve. That's kind of unpacking what David was saying there. Um, Scriptures teach that when we bless and pray for our enemies, it's, it's, it's a paradox. We actually, in showing them kindness or heaping coals of fire on their head you know that's in the bible right that when we are showing them kindness and grace and mercy we're actually bringing about the the intensity of their defeat and so that's what David was doing. He was saying all of that before the New Testament, hundreds of years before the New Testament was even written. David is, is revealing the heart of the Lord and he's showing him kindness. And then this is David's prayer. This is where he fully surrenders it again to the Lord. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But it's not going to be my hand that's going to do it. And then he says, as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. I mean, he's, he, we don't read it here very easily, but he's taken a few clear swipes of truth. These are truth arrows that he's shooting at Saul. He says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. That would be a reference to the way Saul was behaving. But my hand will not be against you. And then look at him going lower. He says, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? Saul, you're coming after me. I'm nothing. I'm a dead dog. I'm worse than that. I'm a flea on a dead dog. He's humbling himself. He's going low. He's trying to reassure Saul. Saul, if you'll let me, I'll serve you. If you'll receive it, I'll honor you. If you'll put up your sword, you'll see that mine's already been put up. I don't want this fight. I don't want to be your enemy. And then he recognizes that Saul may not agree with David. And so David is here publicly saying, I'll never touch you. May the Lord therefore be judge and give a sentence between me and you. 
May he see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Um, if you can get to that place with your enemy and stay there, you have won. You just won. You have to die to yourself. It takes your own personal crucifixion, not in the physical, but in your inner being. That element of your flesh, that element of your pride, that element of, of inner justice where you know justice has been violated against you, it is so hard to put out those flames once they've been ignited. But if you can get to this point and you can look at the person who is doing you wrong or did you wrong in the past and you can literally think of their face and instead of feeling fear, hatred, or a thirst for revenge, you feel pity, maybe mercy, or if you have really been graduated in the spirit, you can actually feel love for the one that did you wrong, you've won. When we lose is when we hold on so tightly to what comes natural to us, which is they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them as soon as I can and as deeply as I can. And that's natural. It's not, it's not acceptable. It is natural. But you and I are not slaves to our flesh. You're not we're not bound to work according to our human nature. We have God Almighty living inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so our nature our, and all that goes with that, that fleshly part of who we were, that is being put to death. And nothing tries to raise it back up than the pain of being done unjustly. So what does David do? He's clear about the facts. He calls Saul out for his wrongdoing. Don't miss that in verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. He calls Saul out. He does it diplomatically. But he calls Saul out by saying, Saul, you need to understand what you're doing is wrong. But you also need to understand this. I'm trusting the Lord to be my defense. I'm trusting the Lord to restore what's been lost. I'm trusting the Lord to protect me in the future. I'm trusting the Lord to clear my name. I'm trusting the Lord to put me on that throne that he promised me. And David knew that in saying that, that everybody was listening. So David has just made basically a public vow in the name of the Lord to never lift his hand against Saul. And so we'd love to think that this would be where the story would permanently turn. I'll say this. Saul feels remorse, but Saul never repents. Let's look at his remorse, and then we're going to go home tonight. The title of the message is Sending Your Enemy Back Home, and this is where it happens. David's defeated foe goes home. Saul was convicted. It says that as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice. And wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hand. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? Now, watch this. So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me on this day. It's amazing because for a moment, we see a tiny little reflection of the man Saul used to be. 
And I don't know, now David wasn't fully convinced because David didn't run in for the hug. David, this is the same guy that threw spears at David and has been trying to kill him. So David's willing to go low, but I like this. This might be helpful for some of you. Your heart can be completely free and released in trusting the Lord and forgiveness of your enemy without you having to put yourself back in harm's way. So sometimes the enemy says, well, if you've really forgiven, you're going to go right back to where you used to be with this person in the relationship. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. There's a difference between forgiveness and restoration. There are things that can be forgiven that can't be restored. And so it's not always the will of the Lord to return you and the person that opposed you back to square one to hold hands and, you know, live happily ever after. Sometimes the relationships are term- terminated. Sometimes you don't get that, that stolen ground or those stolen years or those stolen situations back, but your heart can still be free. Saul was deeply convicted, but he never repented. It looks like he's repenting. I mean, he's got the tears, the crocodile tears. He's seeing things as they are. He's like, oh, David, you're a better man than me. In Saul's heart, Saul always longed to be something other than he was. Saul didn't even like himself. It's no surprise then that he would treat David that way. Some of you may need to receive that. The person who hates you, the person who did you wrong, mistreated you, betrayed you, acted unjustly with you, um, they were probably very, very messed up before they ever got into that relationship with you. And so they, you, you probably inherited a problem that you didn't see at the beginning, but it manifested through that. And Saul was messed up before David ever came into the picture. He had already lost his kingship before David was ever even introduced in the story. Saul still had the throne, but he had lost his, his uh, anointing. So David, uh, Saul, was convicted, and he was also corrected. Look in verse 20. Look at, look at this. This is mind-blowing. Saul says, and now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Now he's broken and contrite right now, as you would expect of a guy who just found out he was within inches of death. And he's now seeing the righteousness of David, the goodness of David, all of Saul's self-deception is pulled back and he sees in a crystallized moment, there's no doubt about it now, you're the kind of guy that God will put on the throne of Israel. I'm the kind of guy he removes from the throne. So he sees that and yet still, there's no full repentance here. For the time being, David's enemy was conquered here. This is what it looks like. Saul says this, Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Um, That takes us through the chapter. Let me just give you this and then we're going to go home too. Um, we have these glimpses of Saul's brokenness. We have these glimpses of Saul's great, greater awareness of the big picture, of honor, of integrity, of character. He's getting all of this in a moment of conviction, but notice how quickly, it's subtle, but it's there, how quickly the switch gets flipped again. What does he do? He immediately starts looking for his own self-interests. He's like, David, you're going to be king, and by the way, Take it easy on my family. Take it easy on my name. Let my name not be besmirched. 
don't wipe out all of my, my ancestors because that was very common at that time when a new king came into the throne. He typically would kill all of the family of the previous king so there wasn't a coup that would come up against him. And so Saul goes from this broken contrition and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, and by the way, we need to make sure my interests are taken care of. And friends, I mean, I hate to be the cynic in the room tonight, but that's just the way some people are. Some of you have tried your best. You have bent over backwards. You've given grace and mercy and compassion and kindness, and yet that person is still treating you as if you were less than what you are. And it can drive you up the wall. It can bring you to a place where you're like, well, I haven't tried this. Maybe even though all of this hasn't worked, maybe if I tried this. And let me just give you something that's, it's, I, the, the challenge is we never know whose heart God will turn or when it will be turned if he turns it. And so there's the greater part of me that says never give up on anybody. And I think in the grand scheme of things, that's true. I never give up on somebody's salvation. I never give up on somebody, the possibility of somebody being radically turned to the Lord and becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ. I never give up on that, but that does not mean that I put my life on pause while I wait for that to happen, even though it may not. So there are some of the most difficult places in life that you'll come to is when you have forgiven your enemy, but you recognize that you have a life to live and must go on with your life. And friends, that is, and say, well, Jeff, what do I do? Well, that's not an answer I can give from a pulpit that's a blanket answer for everybody. Let me tell you what you do. You press in really hard and very frequently into Jesus, and you get to the place where you are broken before the Lord and seeking to honor the Lord, and I'm going to tell you, in your brokenness and contrition, as you die to yourself, as you do everything, as much as it is possible, Paul said, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with all people as much as it depends on you. Be at peace with people. But there comes a time where you've done everything that you can and you literally can't do anymore. And it's in that moment where you will hear the voice of the Lord telling you exactly what your next steps are. Um, I'm, I'm not a proponent of giving up on people's soul, but nor am I a proponent of permanently attaching my life out of guilt or fear to somebody who clearly may never change. The key is this. We have to have discernment from the Lord to know what to do in each of these situations. David saw what might have been to him a flicker of hope in Saul, but David also had wisdom to let Saul go home without David. And what did, Saul, uh, what did David do? David said, all right, fellas, there they go. We've just sent our enemy back home. Let's go back in the cave. We've got a plan for tomorrow. Say, well, Jeff, what happened to Saul because he looked broken? Well, you just keep coming back for this series and you'll find out. You'll find out that it doesn't take too terribly long before the real Saul is back on the front pages of what going, what's going on in David's story. So I'm going to ask us to stand to our feet tonight. I'm sure that for some of you, you, you thought of that person. It's uncomfortable, it's awkward, it may even be painful. Might, this might have dredged up a bunch of stuff that you weren't in the mood to dredge up. 
but let's be responsible with whoever that person or those people might be. And this is all I'm going to say. If you're not at a place where you can fully say, the Lord will judge between me and that person, but my hand will never be against them. That's where he wants to bring you tonight. You say, well, Jeff, I'd never lay a hand on anybody. Um, we don't often do it physically for vengeance, but man, it's right here. It's right here. All of us have had to press through some painful life ambushes. And I'm going to tell you, it's so worth it because Jesus knows all about it. Come on. Judas, Peter. What about all the people that he healed? What about the, where was Lazarus when they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him? Where, where was everybody that he poured himself out unto? There was nobody with him. So the Lord knows about the pain of betrayal and abandonment. And he's the one that lives inside of you. And if you will press into him and just say, Lord, I want to be free of this. He will invite you on a journey that may be much shorter than you would assume, where he will bring you to a place of healing and forgiveness and breakthrough. And you'll actually come to that place. I'm actually, listen, just so you know, I'm not preaching at you. I'm actually, as I'm talking, I'm thinking of people that I almost lived in perpetual bitterness with. I was this close to giving my heart over to full-blown bitterness. And if it were not for the grace of God and me being able to learn lessons like this from David, I would still be bitter towards those people today. But I can tell you, when I think of them now, I'm able to smile. I'm able to believe that God's grace is greater than anything that might be lacking in that person. I'm actually able to pray, and I did this. This is part of my breakthrough. I, I forced myself to pray, bless them, Lord. Bless them in the name of Jesus. And when you're praying for God's blessing to fall on your enemy, you're praying for them to become aligned with God so that blessing can fall on them. So you're not saying, God, bless what they did to me or bless them for what they... You're saying, no, bless them, Lord, because in order for them to be blessed, they have to be broken and be brought into alignment with the Lord. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we don't pretend that we don't have painful scars. And some in the room tonight, Lord, are living this out right now. Grace, grace unto you that are living it out right now. Grace from the Lord to you. And Father, for them especially, I pray for wisdom to know how to forgive, how to ensure that they're not in harm's way, and also, Lord, how to humble themselves in anything that you ask as you continue to deal with the one that opposes them. For those of us, Lord, that carry battle scars from painful relationships that we now can't do anything about, we want to be free. Our hearts belong to you, Jesus. I don't want any part of my heart to belong to somebody that did me wrong. I want all of it to belong to you. So search me, search us, test us, see if there's anything in us, Lord, that you might see as wicked or unforgiving or bitter. And Lord, we just cry out, we can't do it without you. You have to empower us 
to be free from this. And we trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.